Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. It's been five years since Crazy Rich Asians featuring an all-Asian cast broke global box office records. Its debut kicked off so-called Asian August in 2018, highlighting the work of Asian-American and Asian artists, and with that, a promise of more opportunities. Now the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is breaking records and thrusting veteran and new Asian actors into a rarefied spotlight. Is this the long-hoped-for payoff from Asian August? Joining me remotely, Jenny Korn, research affiliate and founder and coordinator of the Race, Tech, and Media Working Group at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. Welcome back, Jenny. Hey, y'all. Thank you for having me again. So glad to have you. Also with me, Elena Kreef, professor of women's and gender studies at Wellesley College. She specializes in Asian American visual history in photography, film, and popular culture. Welcome back to you, Elena. Thank you, Kelly. It's great to be back. Well, I'm delighted to have this conversation. So we started this in 2018, back when Crazy Rich Asians took Hollywood by storm. And in case some folks don't remember that movie, I want to play a clip. This is from where the main character, Rachel, learns her boyfriend is more than comfortable. Rachel, these people aren't just rich, okay? They're crazy rich. Look, there's new money all over Asia. We got the Beijing billionaires, the Taiwan tycoons, but the young family, they're old money rich. And they built all of this. Now, they're the landlords of the most expensive city in the world. Asia. These people are so posh and snobby. They're snotty. I just love that line. I've seen that movie about a billion times, and I love it every time she delivers it. So that was the kickoff. And when we say global box office records, we mean that. This just took off and drew so many people, a lot of repeat uh, viewings for folks. And at the time, we all discussed, we three, that this looked like uh, not just a crack in the ceiling, but like the ceiling is coming down now. It's going to happen. And some things have, you know, been promising over the last five years, but not really what I think, Elena, you would have thought of as the really the bringing down of the glass ceiling. I am convinced when I look at some of the performers who are being honored this year that, you know, Crazy Rich uh, Asians, it, it kicked down the door and it was a long, long overdue um, uh, floodgate that we've been waiting for. Uh, you know, Michelle Yeoh remains one of my favorite actresses. And I think in some ways, what she began in Crazy Rich Asians has just continued to grow. I love that she's being honored this year after, you know, such a long, long um, wait in Hollywood. So I think it's really interesting that all that energy, a lot of the talent of these amazing actors and actresses, you know, they're, they've been making their mark ever since. And, you know, Jenny, one of the things we have to point out, the reason we mentioned box office is because um, if you don't make it at the box office, then, you know, you often don't get enough pickup. And you pointed out that this movie is the highest for the company that made it. Yes, um, I am thrilled that Everything Everywhere All at Once is also um, <clears throat> turning into lots and lots of money. 
uh, because that will hopefully encourage additional movies. And something different about this movie is that it was not marketed as an Asian, Asian American movie. It was marketed as kind of a a, a weird movie. <laughs> Which it is. Um, and that's, <laughs> it is. It actually absolutely is. And it's um, also what in the award and uh, award acceptance speeches even um james hong mentioned this is when you read the script this is weird do you understand it because <laughs> it, it absolutely makes the viewer think it makes the viewer want to put down the phone this movie everything everywhere all at once requires full attention if you blink you'll miss one of the visual representations of evelyn and jobu or and joy's relationship i love this movie i watched this movie i don't know five times already and i learned something new every time Yes, I'm going to have to look at it a few more times because I know I missed a lot of things because it's moving so fast. And we should say, just so people understand it, it is out there, quote unquote. But at the heart of it, it's really a very personal film. And it's about a relationship between a mother and a daughter, parents really. But Michelle Yeoh playing the mother, trying to really connect with her daughter is the issue. So I want to play this climactic scene um, where the two of them in the movie, Evelyn and Joy, are trying to talk out their personal issues. Mom, just, just stop. It's not good for you. You're figuring your shit out. That's great. I'm really, really happy for you. But I, I'm tired. I don't want to hurt anymore. And for some reason, when I'm with you, it just... It just hurts the both of us. It's really, it's, I mean, the movie just takes you in so many places. So um, it's definitely worth seeing and certainly worth seeing many times. Now, that leads us to where we are in terms of what this movie has done um, in terms of Asian representation at the movies. Four Oscar nominations. First of all, this film got 11. So the highest number of nominations, period, of any other film at the Oscars this year. And then four nominations for all of these really fabulous Asian actors. I want you two to react to that. It sounds like a small number, but when you look at the history, this is huge. You know, this film is a unique type of sweep. We've never had a film with four uh, actor-actress nominations. This film also is one that I think people need to see multiple times. It is so complex. Mm -hmm. I think New York Times called it a swirl of chaos, but <laughs> it, it jumps genres. It mixes not just comedy, but surreal comedy, some sci-fi, some fantasy, martial arts. Uh, it has hot dog finger animation. And something that you said, <laughs> Callie, is that at the very heart of it, it's also a story of intergenerational uh, first and second generation uh, Asian American mother-daughter relationships. And we have not seen this type of epic intergenerational tension and trauma between mothers and daughters since the Joy Luck Club in 1993. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jenny, add on to that. I do agree. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, listen, it, uh, for best costume design, this movie better win. If not, I'm going to throw my TV um, <laughs> because you, the, the costumes, um, the fashion, the choices in makeup, if there's a whole dissertation to be written just about the fashion and the clothing and the makeup, seriously, in this movie um, examples. So if we think about how the movie starts and how the clothes even um, are on the uh, body of Evelyn. 
and how at towards the end of the movie, the clothes become more flattering to her. They become more form-fitting, which is a reflection of her own personal journey into love, into kindness, into self-acceptance. And that's that's a very subtle uh, example. If we look at Jobu, woo! Yes. I mean, there's one point yes. where they take her hair <laughs> And they write the word Jobu on her forehead and it looks amazing. Yes. So the costumes and the makeup alone tell a story of Jobu's angst, her pain, her desire to be seen, her attention that she desperately wants from her mother. So it makes sense to me that these costumes, that these uh, fashion is in itself telling a story. There's also nods to Asian culture throughout the fashion choices. Um, there's an example when we haven't seen Jobu uncovered yet, and she's wearing a gray wig and she's wearing a visor, which is very typical of elder Asian women uh, wearing the visor. And so we all we all can smile and nod at that. Like we we've seen Asian women wear that exact same outfit. And when you're speaking about nods to, well, this is almost kind of what what people call an Easter egg, I guess, a little bit in that Michelle Yeoh became to, um, I think, widespread recognition in America. She was known before that as an actress um, in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the, you know, all the martial arts choreography. And here she is at where she is in her career now and her age and this crazy movie <laughs> where she's using it <laughs> using it again um Elena that's that's something right absolutely I you know I have to say I've also been really moved with all the the press attention that uh this film has been getting that they're reminding everyone of this long history in Hollywood of uh, the invisibility or the extreme marginalization of, of Asian, Asian American actors, actresses in the past. And they're remembering all the way back to 1935 when Merle Oberon uh, was the first Asian woman to be nominated for a best for a Best Actress Award back in 1935. She was also in the Asian racial closet as a mixed race uh, uh, mm -hmm. South Asian woman. Mm -hmm. uh, not many people remembering that Miyoshi Umeki did win, you know, Best Supporting Actress uh, for Sayonara in 1958. It's been a long, long history, and there've been there've been performers that I'm glad are being honored and remembered again. So let me just say uh, before you speak, Jenny, that 94 year old James Hong, who is one of the uh, actors in this movie, um, he, his history goes way back. He spoke at the recent Screen Actors Guild Awards, and he reflected on his time in Hollywood. My first movie was with Clark Gable, <laughs> but back in those days. I have to tell you this, uh, the good earth, the, the leading role was played by these guys with the eyes taped up like this and they talk like this. And the producer said the Asians were not good enough and they are not box office. But look at us now, huh? That speech made me cry. I know. Oh my gosh, what a what a powerful, memorable speech. Uh, Callie, you mentioned this about Michelle Yeoh becoming known as a martial artist. In fact, this film was supposed to be featuring Jackie Chan. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yes, uh, Michelle, Michelle Yeoh gave an interview um, where she said she received a text from Jackie Chan congratulating her because the movie was going to have a male action star. Um, and the fact that they gender swapped and did not change 
the character uh, lines to me was an unintended boon for this movie because we're very used to seeing women as represented as the moral center, the center of emotions, the center of being, uh, reminding us of morality and how we're supposed to act, let's cherish kindness. In this movie, it's actually not the wife, it's not the mother, it's the husband. And Waymond is reminding us all, like playfulness is important, kindness is important. And we watch um, the journey of Evelyn realizing that her husband's right the entire time. And I think that gender swap really, again, makes this movie uh, much stronger. Now, um, because, as Jenny, as you pointed out, that this film was not uh, marketed as an Asian film per se, do you think a lot of people went to it initially, you know, having no idea, and then, you know, there there they were, um, and they got to see all the folks um, uh, playing the roles as they were? Have you all heard anything about that? What's your sense of that? I actually was curious too. I was like, was the vision always to have a primarily Asian cast? Because um, one of the writers, uh, he's also Asian, um, Daniel Kwan. And so um, to me, they always had this notion, because again, they originally had envisioned Jackie Chan. I will say that while the four lead actors have been nominated, which is really cool, what is unfortunate is that Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue are in the same category as right. supporting actors. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, to have the two of them kind of compete is unfortunate. I understand why people would vote for Jamie Lee Curtis. She's not been as recognized as she could have been. Uh, she's obviously been in the industry for quite a while. But it does say something interesting that Stephanie Sue did not win the SAG. Um, we'll see whether or not she wins the Oscar. But there's another, the the actor that plays Elvis. Both of them are younger. They're both coming out, getting known at around the same time. And he has won uh, awards. So there's no way that Evelyn's story can be told without joy. So I'm really hopeful that that Stephanie Sue will be recognized at the Oscars. I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guests are Jenny Korn, research affiliate and founder and coordinator for the Race, Tech, and Media Working Group at Harvard University, and Elena Kreef, professor of women's and gender studies at Wellesley College. We're discussing Asian representation in the movies ahead of the upcoming Oscar Awards. Well, you know, uh, because you referenced uh, The Whale, if you talk about The Whale starring Brendan Fraser, 600-pound man, come, and that's a family story, too, coming to grips with the relationship with his daughter. Very highly praised performance. They expect him to take the Oscar. But uh, the supporting character is an Asian actress. She's gotten quite a lot of attention, and she and Sue are in the same category, also in the Best Supporting Actress category. Um, so that'll be very interesting. I'm rooting for all of them. Uh, having <laughs> having recently watched uh, Hong Chao's performance in The Whale, it was it was so beautiful and moving, and and she has a natural style unlike anyone else I've ever seen on the screen. And she also plays an adoptee in that in that film. And I understand that her role originally was not uh, was not intended to be an Asian character. It was it was generic like racial blind casting, but she knocked it out of the park with her audition. And um, she's got a, just a beautiful history as an actress playing these sm small supporting roles. But wow, she is she is so much the heart of, of the whale. And also Jenny just wanted to point out, I was trying to keep track of all the nominations that 
everything everywhere all at once has been garnering and and something crazy like 404 nominations so far across all categories yeah and the film has scooped up so far 264 wins and stephanie Shu has also received a number of awards ha not the sag and and we'll see what happens with the oscars but she has been honored uh by winning supporting actress uh, at different film festivals and from different organizations so i'm really excited for her and by the way uh her role as jobu was originally uh set for aquafina and oh i didn't know that oh yeah i was, I was thrilled that there would be a crazy rich asians reunion with michelle Yeoh and <laughs> And, you know, this film was made just before the pandemic to shut everything down in, in 2020. But Aquafina, I think, had to bow out and Stephanie Hsu um, uh, replaced her. Yeah. So Crazy Rich Asians, sort of uh, the shadow of that film hangs all over uh, this one. And in the same way that Crazy Rich Asians appeal to such a, a broad audience, not just to an Asian American demographic, but but across the board, I think I think everything also appeals to the same demographic. And and I know when the trailers first came out, the the you know people in, in the film in the film audience they were they were going nuts for this. So I think it just has really wide appeal, and and I think we are now maybe at a point where films starring an Asian American cast have general appeal and are no longer going to be considered like niche. I I, I was thinking the same thing, and remember we're still waiting for the sequel to Crazy Rich Asians. So who knows what that could stir up once it comes out, but. I was looking beyond what's happening in history. I, I really just want to emphasize we three are all very excited about these historic nominations and what they may mean um, bigger than this moment. These are very tiny numbers still. I just want to point that out, that we're excited because it's just never been before, but these are tiny numbers. So there's a long way to go, uh, even with the momentum of A Crazy Rich Asians and now the momentum of everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, there's a long way to go. So we can still count his nominations on one hand, uh, at the Oscars anyway. So there is that to consider. But having said that, as we look beyond, um, Jenny, for example, you were telling me, pointing out about this series, this Canadian series called Sort Of, um, which also features, you know, a main Asian character, but who is also non-binary. Here's a clip from the, the series. It's, as I said, it's Canadian, and it sets the scene for the main character as a part-time nanny who is non-binary. I'm here for the nanny interviews. Has anyone asked you your pronouns? Yeah, no, no one's asked me that. I'm asking. They. So this is, you know, we're moving in a direction where you can see many characterizations um, and many different, not your typical mainstream, and it's nothing wrong with your typical mainstream Asian person, but, <laughs> but I'm just saying there's a breakout happening, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I love, sort of, it's available um, in the States on HBO Max, featuring the first series that uh, on a Pakistani-Canadian family and the main character is non-binary. The performer actually has created history already by not just uh, representation, but also in changing the Canadian awards. Come next year, the Screen Awards for Canada will be removing the gendered category. So, you know, here in the States, we have Best Actor and Best Actress. Those will be gone and it will be Best Performer. And the reason is directly from the show because sort of has become a hit uh, in Canada and they wanted to nominate 
the main performer, and they said they would participate only if there were a category like best performer that would be inclusive of non-binary identity. And we're moving toward that allegedly here in the States, but that's pretty, that's a big move uh, that will have a long range uh, impact, I think, here and probably globally. Both of you have pointed out the the, the very deep interest in K-pop um, has brought more attention to looking at Asian performers in pop culture in general. That brings more attention. And I just wanted to point out that we talked about Joy Luck Club. 25, 26, I forgot how many years ago it was, but now there's they're making a sequel to it, which I think is pretty interesting. Listen, here's a clip from the original Joy Luck Club. My mother started the Joy Luck Club. For 30 years, these women feasted, forgot past wrongs, laughed, played, lost and won, and told the best stories. <laughs> no talking in Chinese. How do I know you're not cheating? We are your auntie, and we are very honest people. Novelist Amy Tan, upon whose book the, the original was, was based, is involved in it, and it's going to feature a lot of the original cast now playing older. They'd be older women themselves, which I think is great, so we get some generational change there, and you have an opportunity to see how that plays uh, in 2023 or 2024, whenever it comes out. I am so excited. I've been following that story in any snippet of news obsessively since this was announced last fall. Just the fact that the daughters in Joy Luck Club will now be the, they will be the grandmothers. We'll get a new generation <laughs> of young actresses and also the legendary older stars who are still with us are also excited about coming back. But I think that Crazy Rich Asians sequel and Joy Luck Club 2 are going to keep us all going, but I'm so excited. I would wager a prediction, um, which is in the Joy Luck Club, there was drama, you know, at least in the movie was interracial dating. That was the, you know, the big issue, dating outside of ethnicity, dating outside of race. My prediction would be that there will be in the new generation, more queer representation, more Asian queer representation. It is interesting to me, again, taking back to everything everywhere all at once. It's one thing to come out to parents, uh, which Joy did to Evelyn. The bigger area of contention was Joy wanted to come out to her grandfather, which would totally match what Elena said about, well, all these women are now grandmothers. How are they going to react to the evolution of women's empowerment, of uh, sexuality, politics? So, yeah, I'm excited. And I, I will hopefully come next year. We'll all get together again and we'll see whether that was true. <laughs> <laughs> So before I bring this to a close, I would be remiss if I did not mention that among other Asian and AAPI nominees are Chinese-born Canadian Turning Red filmmaker Domi Shi uh, for Best Animated Film. She's up for Turning Red, which I think is a lovely animated film. This Oscars is is really something on a historic front as far as Asian representation is concerned, which brings me to my last question. Whenever I have these kinds of conversations, I know there are people listening saying, why do we have to just make it so focused on the race? Why is this important? And so I want each of you to talk about the importance of these images in popular culture. What does it mean to have more serious and more widespread Asian representation? 
You know, I, I've so enjoyed following the SAGA wars with the cast of um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I got to say, I was really, really moved by what Michelle Yeoh and what, what Ki Hui Kwan have said. Michelle Yeoh said on camera, the awards she's racking up are dedicated to all those girls out there who look like her. And, and Ki has said also um, uh, in his acceptance speeches, uh, addressing those viewers who might be at home watching, he says, to those of you who are watching and you are waiting to be seen, please go, please keep going because a spotlight will one day find you. I found uh, both of those, uh, both of these act actors, uh, just acknowledgement around uh, why visibility and representation matters really moving. They're speaking also not to their contemporaries, but to the young generations who are still uh, always hungry to see their stories, their faces on the screen, but representation matters, who we see on screen and who's writing stories and who's directing these stories, all this matters. Always a delight to have a conversation with you two. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Callie. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny Korn is research affiliate and founder and coordinator of the Race, Tech and Media Working Group at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. And Elena Kreef is a professor of women's and gender studies at Wellesley College, who specializes in Asian American visual history in photography, film, and popular culture. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Jesse Steinmetz and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Jenny Firm. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.